Hello and welcome back to episode 13 of Detours featuring the Montreal Canadiens young prospect Kirby Doc. I'm your host as always David Stahl and alongside me is producer Ben. Ben we recorded yesterday with Kirby Doc. I'll be honest I am not the most fervent NHL fanatic I like to follow along come playoff time, but you know, basketball is typically our sport NFL season, mm-hmm. but it was really, really neat to sort of tap into someone who's right at the outset of their career and, and sort of get his insights. I don't know how much you kind of know about his story, um, but yeah, it was, it was a really neat interview and I, I think people are going to enjoy it. No, hundred percent. It's great to get a, uh, a young NHLers perspective in here for sure. Um, and as somebody who's at really I wouldn't say at the very beginning of their career, but at the start, I would say. Mm-hmm. And it's inter- it's interesting to see him. He's on a very young team right now, surrounded by very young and skilled players. And Montreal is one of those great historical hockey spots, and they'll eventually grow into a very good team. And he'll probably be, if he stays there, right at the forefront of that. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a really neat position too. Like you said, like it's a very fervent franchise, and he touches on that. But it's also a really unique positioning for a player and a franchise to just be under the understanding and the fans to be under the understanding of, okay, this is a rebuild. Like they've come out and explicitly said, yeah, we're rebuilding, be patient. And I said to him too, like from a fan's perspective, that's way better to hear than sort of, okay, we're going to try to flirt with the playoffs. Oh, we're getting, you know, swept first round. Like that place of ambiguity kind of in pro sports is typically the worst space to be it's causes fans frustrate frustrations yeah. young prospects get frustrated and i think it's best for him as well too i think it's a neat episode to sort of contrast with our michael bunting episode two which took place last year very because much so, yeah. he's a guy who was grinding through the ahl for more games than anyone else whereas kirby was a top prospect third pick in the draft came on into a chicago blackhawks locker room that had patrick kane jonathan taves at the time oh yeah and he says that he didn't really he wasn't really given a chance to blossom into a into the the really exciting young prospect he is now um but it, it was also some neat insight as to you know now those guys are out of that chicago locker room i think you and i growing up like that was such an iconic powerhouse franchise Dy- dynasty 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 and he saw it right before everyone sort of you know has now split off at the end of the season taves is gone Kane was gone earlier this season. It's mm-hmm. it's you know not the same team that we grew up watching, and you know now both are rebuilding. Chicago with their number one pick, and and <laughs> Montreal, you know, with with Kirby and and a bunch of other young guys. So it's a really fun perspective. Again, a lot different than than Michael Bunting's. So those two are kind of really fun to listen to back to back. But yeah, we really hope you guys enjoy and and gain a lot for from Kirby's perspective. He does say as well, little tidbit. He mentions, yeah, he kind of goes back. He has one moment in his career where he won a shootout goal against mm. Chicago after he was traded to Montreal, and we dive into that that memory a little bit. And uh, yeah, it's really really exciting. So we hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Kirby, how's it going, man? Good yourself. Good, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time. How's the off-season going so far? Uh, it's been good. Yeah, no complaints. Nice, nice. Where are we uh, finding you? Are you back home currently, or are yeah, you still in Montreal? Yeah. No, I'm back home. Back home in Alberta. 
Awesome. And then when does sort of the off season start to run into into the 2023-2024 season for you? When do you head back to Montreal, get training back with the team again? Um, I don't know. It depends on the guys. Sometimes guys like to be there early August, mid-August. I'm more of a show up like late, late August, beginning of September. Like to Okay, fair enough. Take, got, any, yeah. uh, got any plans for the summer? No, nothing. Nothing set in stone. If I do have a plan, it'll be a, a last minute kind of trip. <laughs> Are you a big traveler? Typically, I guess you really haven't had the chance throughout your early career so far to really take those off seasons. Because, of course, you kind of were jumped in the league right pre-COVID. Then, you know, once you you have your contract, you're sort of in that that weird stage where you couldn't go anywhere. So have you had the yeah. chance to even really travel since since entering the league? Uh, yeah, I've done a done a few trips here and there, but um, not not a ton. I don't know. Nice. Summer, I just kind of like to come home, relax, and then get ready uh, for the next year. Amazing. Well, I don't know how familiar you are with our program, but typically. Our podcast, of course, is it's called Detours, and so we really like to look at athletes who have unique roads to excellence. And what we found, the funny thing is about it, is really that is such a universally shared thing amongst athletes like yourself who make it to such a high level is there's always a unique path because you're not doing the blueprint in order to get to that exceptional level, right? You sort of have to veer off and, and find your own individuality. But I think to start off, it makes sense to of course, start at the beginning. So I'm wondering sort of how did you first fall in love with the game? And of course, like sort of, is it that traditional Canadian story of, you know, you're introduced as, as young as, you know, four or five years old. Was there a particular player that helped you fall in love? What was sort of like the origin of your interest in hockey? Yeah, I think uh, for me and and my brother too, um, once you uh, grew up, I think we were both two or three when we started. So, um, lived out on an acreage when we were young and had the opportunity to, to have a backyard rink. And, um, and then my, uh, my earliest memories of it all would be, be at the, up at the lake. We have a lake lot that's uh, a couple hours away from our house and just, um, going up there and spending the, the winters up there and, um, skating on the, on the lake like that. And definitely, uh, wouldn't have gotten into hockey if it wasn't for, for my dad. So it wasn't that there was a player I watched or anything like that. It was more, uh, more for my dad and, and uh, then I took it on and uh, it just kind of carried in through, through my siblings. That's such a, like, I don't know, there's something so organic about getting it introduced by family, even rather than, you know, just watching it on TV almost. There is that really intimate relationship with it. I think that's especially relating it to where you live, too, in such a picturesque, like being able to play on the lake. That's such a, like traditional Canadian heritage moment I almost feel like when you're away how much do you I don't know is there like do you miss that landscape of Alberta because it's such a unique space um yeah I definitely definitely miss it a little bit I mean um played in two pretty big cities in Chicago and Montreal and mm-hmm. it's kind of more of a downtown and, and big buildings and a lot of like parking or space or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I definitely enjoy coming back home and having a little bit of space and um, just uh, just being able to kind of roam around and, and have fun. What big of an adjustment is that? Like going into not only a big city, but of course at first with Chicago, there's sort of that culture shock of, okay, now you're in the States. It's an unfamiliar city. There are a lot of 
sort of new dynamics there. And then going to Montreal, where it's sort of like a really distinct culture in and of itself, too, right? As all these sort of like European flavors to it. There's an extra language into the mix. Both have super passionate fans. How much of an adjustment has like the cityscapes been in your career? Uh, yeah, um, it was a little bit different, but it, it took a while. And I, I was fortunate enough in Chicago to have uh, Brent Seabrook take me in with his family. So um, that, that really helped a lot. I mean, at least I'm not 18 years old, kind of living on my own, not really knowing how to cook, clean, do all that stuff. Like uh, I, I kind of got helped quite a bit there. And that was that was super nice. And obviously, uh, I'm pretty thankful for them. And um, definitely wouldn't be where I am now w- without their help for sure. But, uh, so w- that was, that was easy to get adjusted there. And I feel like once you kind of get adjusted to a city like that one time, um, it just kind of carries on. Like you just get older and, and more mature and understand, I guess, living life, right? And like he <laughs> sounds dumb, but you, you grow up. No, hundred percent. And I think you probably are forced to grow up a lot quicker than most, you know, 18 year olds who are thrown into that space. Most 18 year olds are, you know, going off to the freshman year of, of college or university. And, you know, you're given this contract and a lot of expectation, a lot of weight on your shoulders as well. And just sort of told, okay, go perform right away. I, I will say I wasn't aware of um, Seabrook sort of taking you under his wing like that. Could you maybe explain for those who maybe aren't familiar w- how that came to be and how, how that relationship sort of helped um, give a little bit of foundation to your early career? Uh, yeah. Um, I just met him one time and we kind of joked about living there. And then um, camp came came around the like a couple months later and I walked up to him like right after like the first meeting in camp and was like, Hey, like we joked about living together. Like, do you think it like it's a possibility? And we have the same agent and, and Jerry Johansson. So it kind of helped out a little bit there, but, um, and he, yeah. So the next day he went home, talked to his wife and she, uh, him and her told me to come for dinner a couple nights, see how it is with the kids and stuff with the dogs. And, um, for me, it was uh, it was pretty much like how my family grew up. Like they had uh, three kids, a couple dogs buzzing around. So um, it was something I was used to, and I was comfortable with with that. And um, they definitely they definitely helped me out quite a lot. And they're still uh, still people that I, I I keep in touch with. And um, I obviously I see Sieves as uh, kind of a second dad and somebody that really helped me with uh, my career. That's so neat! Wow, that's such a neat story. And. I, I'm sure that also helped sort of your your mentality evolve even quicker being around a vet like that, someone who's who's obviously super well versed in the league. I'm curious when you look back at your rookie season, I'm sure in some ways it feels like a lifetime ago. In what ways do you think your mentality has shifted, either when it comes to like preparing for a season or a game or even just the mentality that comes with, you know, playing in an un unfriendly territory in, in a rival arena how has your mentality shifted the most do you think since your rookie year um, i don't think it's shifted like a ton to be honest with you i hmm. kind of kept the same mentality where um i just want to play play my game play my style and, and help the team win um that's kind of always been been my thought whenever i stepped on the ice like whatever i can do to, to help the team win and pull that team in the right direction is is more my mentality and mindset i think as the years have gone on, I've gotten more uh, more mature and more confident a little bit and started to play and kind of get back to a, a space where I feel like um, I'm impacting the game each and every night. And um, it's definitely 
it's definitely fun, but I know it's, there's a lot more to do and there's a lot more work mm. to be had. And, um, when, when all that's going in the right direction, it's, it's definitely a fun time. I'm curious because especially as one of the top picks in a, in a draft, obviously there's such a level of talent that, that comes at a baseline, but there's also this expectation, like you're saying, and you have an expectation of yourself too, to make an impact every single game. Have you found that, you know, I'm sure in that rookie season, it's very tough to let the game come to you. How important is that instead of, you know, forcing the issue and saying, okay, I want to put my fingerprint on that, especially as someone who comes to a city like Chicago as a number three pick, of course, there's this inherent pressure to to see an impact immediately. Yeah, um, I think that's that's pretty well said. I mean, um, you go through stretches as a rookie where, everything seems to be going well and you're going right. And then, you know, kind of, uh, kind of a funk where you're, you're down for two months and you don't know what's going on. And mm. you had a point where you're just like, am I even good enough to, to play in this league? My, should I be here? And you start questioning things. And I think that's, that's what helped me out a lot was, was having Seabrook around and Duncan mm. Keith, Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, a lot of older guys that were kind of gone through the same thing. And, um, with the pressure and all that stuff. I mean, they won three cups. They've done pretty much everything. And to lean mm. on those guys was, was pretty special and to be able to have really good relationships with all four of them. And um, it definitely has helped me and kind of like let me play more free and, and enjoy the moment more instead of always worrying about the, the pressure and different mm. things that uh, maybe the media says and stuff. And I think that's something I took took into consideration a lot this year was um, I didn't really give in to what the media had to say or, yeah. Um. As much as uh, and, and I think the, the easy part about it was I didn't really speak any French, so he didn't really <laughs> understand most of it, anyways. But uh, it's kind of like one of the years where I was able just to play free and not under, really worry about what was being said or what people mm. thought. That that's a good tip for any young athletes. If you don't want to, you know, if you want to block out the criticism, just go to a market where you can't read it or or listen to it, right? But yeah, that's exactly. the, I think like you were in. Chicago for such a cool window of time where obviously now you've you're you're helping to to be a foundational part of this rebuild in Montreal but at the time you know you were there with Kane and Taves and this sort of iconic core that's now moved on from Chicago altogether too and and you have too but you sort of caught it right at that tail end before you know their careers diverged that's such a spe special space to be in and of course from the outside we see these stars that have dominated throughout throughout my life as sort of you know oh of course they're they're unflappable of course the media doesn't get to them but was there any surprising advice from like a Taves or a Kane on dealing with the media. Like to me, I'm so shocked that they would say, you know, we had our doubts as rookies and as young players. Yeah. I think, uh, I think every player kind of goes through that where they have those, those moments where they don't do that. Don't think um, that they're impacting the game, even though they may be doing it um, in different mm -hmm. ways. But um, yeah, just both of them kind of just said, just to play free, enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're here for a reason. Enjoy it. And uh, have fun. Don't let people tell you who you are, what you're supposed to be. Just go out there and do it for yourself. Now, we obviously talked about, you know, you getting drafted and, and that process, that adjustment process, and also how you first fell in love with the game. I'm curious, though, of, of that middle part. Like, when did you start to realize, oh, 
okay, this isn't just fun on the lake anymore. I'm exceptionally good at this, or I'm I'm a little bit better than all my peers around me. Like, when did you start to realize, oh shit, I might be able to make this into a career. I might make it to the the NHL someday. Um, ever since I was like young, young, um, it's all mm-hmm. I ever wanted to do. It's never, never really wavered. Um, I always played up an age group, so I was always playing with kids older than me growing up. So, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. no, there wasn't like any years where it's like, oh, like this, like I can really do this, like start focusing on it. No, I was uh, pretty driven, pretty focused on it from from the mm-hmm. moment go. And now today, obviously, you've played now for two extremely historic, iconic franchises. Now, what does it mean to sort of be able to come into a, you know, an original six team in the Canadians and and be a part of this rebuild and enter into this this new chapter with them? Um, sort of what, it, yeah, what sort of pressure comes with playing in, in front of those fans, but also what excitement comes with that sort of fresh start and, and blank slate? Um, yeah, the fans are great. They're they're phenomenal all season. Um, and all it's it's got to be tough when when teams kind of come out and say we're doing a rebuild, like stay patient, like stay with us. And, um, the fans have been phenomenal. I mean, we we go out in public or we see them afterwards, and they're at the rink. They're selling out every every single night, and they're they're super positive and supportive of the group. And I think that's what's really helping our team kind of move along faster than maybe people think. Mm. or thought that we would is that we we have this great support system from from our fan base and they're they're really pulling for us to do good and i think that that goes a long ways with players and stuff right and like to, to be able to feel that comfortability around your own home city with with the fans and obviously the coaching staff and management are, are adding pieces that are that are making impacts right away and i think that uh it's not not far off of us um, being able to push for the playoffs and then once you're in you're in and it'll be a, it'll be a fun time definitely excited to see mm-hmm. the city once once we we get to that point i mean um the city's a, a ton of fun and it's it's crazy as is and, and we're uh we're in the beginning stages of our rebuild and um to think we're this thing could end up and the fun uh, we could have and uh with the group we're doing it with is it's going to be an exciting time for sure I'm curious. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm curious if there's been in Montreal a fan interaction, a community interaction that's sort of like that you remember particularly as, okay, wow, I I am a part of this community or this city really is embracing me. If there was a moment that sort of really resonated with you. Um, I think for me, it was just driving out after games. Like it would be, 1045 11 after game sometimes I'm pulling on the rink and there's still 150 people 200 people sitting outside waiting just to like cheer you on and like give a wave that's all I want right so like that that was uh that was pretty shocking to me I didn't really expect that I mean um sometimes you get the people that wait long but it's maybe like five ten people and ask for a couple like signatures and pictures and stuff but this is more just a fan base that just loves the game loves the team yeah, and likes to just just enjoy it and cheer you on, right? So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Mm. And obviously, this is you know a little bit of a different environment. And I'll say it: I, it is a different culture in the Canadians' locker room than the Blackhawks' locker room. I'm I'm curious what if there's a difference in how you've been sort of brought up in your development that's allowed you to to sort of regain this momentum in your early career that maybe you weren't 
finding as much so in Chicago? Like, were there things that you sort of required either from a coaching perspective or a training perspective that are sort of resonating with you a little more now? Um, I think it was just more opportunity than anything. I think mm. uh, I got to, got to Montreal and was able to play top six power play. Yeah. And then was uh, put in different situations and um, was able to just kind of like play and play free. Um, mm. I think I was able to kind of show that as that I've had been like able to do it all along. It's just more had the opportunity and was, was allowed to do it instead of um, not being allowed to do it or, or being told uh, to play in a checking role and do this and play yeah. defense. And I think that definitely parts of that helped me build into the player I am for sure. But um, I, I feel like this year has given more offensive uh, opportunity and the ability mm. to play the game a little more. And um, yeah. I think it showed, showed with numbers and stats and, um, but uh, at the same time, I don't feel like I still have a lot more to, to add to that. I mean, um, trying to finish a full year without having an injury, knock on wood, but uh, I feel like there's there's a lot more to give. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm curious, like, especially as someone who has, has played up a year throughout a lot of his young career and has still been given those opportunities. Obviously, you've proven it heading into the draft. You're selected by a team. Is there like it must be impossible to not feel some sort of frustration where you think like, okay, I just I just need a chance to I need a little bit more space to be able to develop. And when you're not given that, it's it's sort of like you're spinning your tires a little bit where it's like, okay, I can't show you that I can do more until you let me show you I can do more. Yeah, you, like you said, you kind of get stuck in that in that spot where you're just like, I don't know what what to really do anymore. And I think um, I definitely felt like that a couple times throughout my my uh, first three years. Obviously, not not too much in my second year with um, being out mostly mm-hmm. with my wrist and dealing with that stuff. But um, my first and third year is just there's points where it's just like I was like I can't do this anymore. Like I can't sit there and and just keep spinning my tires over and over and over before like before you run out of gas and you're just stuck. Right. So, um, yeah. uh, definitely when the, when the trade definitely happened, you don't really think that it's like, Oh, like this is what I want. This is what I need. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in the long run, it's definitely, definitely helped me out quite a lot. Was there a moment when you got, cause obviously immediately you're sort of in the moment filled with, there's a lot of unknown. Okay. How am I going to fit in this new locker room? How am I going to move into a new city? I don't know the language. I don't know what the reporters are saying to me. There's a lot of sort of, I don't know, for anyone, a little bit of uneasiness. But when was the moment, or do you remember it, when you were either getting in the flow of the practices or maybe a few games in, or maybe it was just, you know, later in the offseason when you were asked, okay, you could kind of like let the breath and go, oh, this was the right fit. Like, was there a moment when you realized, okay, this, this was the right move for me? Um. I think uh, I, I got there early, kind of end of August again. Um, was able to skate with the guys and be around some guys, and obviously I knew some some of them f- um, through the playing or against them and stuff like that, or just meeting them um, randomly. But uh, it, it was just a good group. Like it's a fun group to be a part of. Like we're super young. Um, we have a lot of fun together. We enjoy being at the rink with one another. And um, Marty keeps the practices upbeat and, and fun and competitive. So guys are pushing each other constantly to be better but um i think the, the first moment where it was just like yeah like 
we fit in is uh, we, we took a team trip up up north from uh, Montreal to Mount Tremblant and just uh, kind of spent um, a weekend with each other, just hanging out, mm-hmm. golfing, um, doing not doing a whole lot, but it's just like those moments where that's where you get to know everybody and hang yeah. out with your teammates and, and have fun and kind of create bonds and um, uh, friendships. So um, definitely that weekend you kind of settle in and get a little more comfortable with everybody, but on the ice, I feel mm-hmm. like it's uh, you get to a point when, when you're old enough where you can just step in and, and you feel feel the flow, you feel what what's going on with the team and stuff, and try to implement what you feel like you can implement to, to help the team in a different way. Mm. And you talk about how important that camaraderie is within the locker room, and obviously you had that great veteran presence in Chicago, and then moving to Montreal, you sort of have it now, but in a different role where. You know, you have Martin St. Louis, who was so dominant through both of, I mean, I'm sure both of our childhoods and such an electric player. And now there's sort of this vocal faith in you and this excitement about what you're able to bring. How has that relationship been able to to grow in the relatively short time you've you've known each other? And and yeah, what what's it like to even be playing? for someone who you really, you know, grew, grew up watching be such a dominant presence at times. Yeah. It's, um, it's definitely an exciting opportunity. And, uh, the, the way Marty kind of coaches and teaches the game, it's, um, it's pretty cool, pretty unique. I haven't really seen it from, from that kind of perspective before, but yeah, he's been awesome. Him and his mm-hmm. whole coaching staff, uh, have, uh, helped us kind of grow as, as a team and grow together and understand the way we want to play and kind of, building um cornerstones and in, in the base of the pyramid um the the past year and a half ever since he took over to kind of get all the way to the top and hit that peak right so he's uh he's definitely been great great for me individually and, and phenomenal for the team and the organization i'm curious what what's unique about his um style or approach to coaching that sort of stands out from uh from other experiences you've had I think uh, a lot of a lot of coaches focus more around the guy with the puck and what they're doing with it, and um, but Marty's more more concerned, or I shouldn't say concerned, but more teaching the uh, the guys that are without the puck where to be in mm-hmm. space. Where like if when you have the puck here, try and get into the space here so that your body can get the puck back, and it's more of that kind of a playing free, but X's and O's a little bit like playing off guys and understanding your space and. I think he gets that pretty easy because he's a small guy coming into the league mm-hmm. at a time where there's just a bunch of big guys that were big and strong and the rules were a little bit different from when he played at the beginning of his career to, to the end. And I think he still understands that when he was on his way out was that uh, the game was getting a lot faster. And the game was kind of more transition, more up and down rather than um, maybe more control uh, beforehand. But so that's uh, definitely something he's trying to teach us and to play with mm-hmm. pace and play with speed. And I think we definitely have have that with our group there. we got a lot of guys that can fly up and down and play a, a hard game at the same time. So um, mm-hmm. I think we got a good mix of everything, and, and Marty knows how to handle that and, and does a really good job behind the bench. 
It's so funny. I must imagine part of him. It's just maddening to watch today's game, a game that like he's really built for. You know, you talk about born in the wrong era with certain I think of a lot of times in terms of basketball, how that game has changed so much. And it's the same same with hockey. You would just, you know, he obviously did as much as he as anyone possibly could have in in his era and had such a successful career. But it is funny to think um, in the modern game, he probably would have found even more success. But I think. I'm sure it's pretty, I don't know, I'm wondering if it's pretty liberating to have sort of a clear blueprint of, okay, it's a rebuild time. Like we're built, like you, you're able to give the fans that clarity and there is space for teaching, not just, okay, this is the game plan for tomorrow's game. You're building, like you said, like those cornerstones of the pyramid for, you know, a much larger picture. Is there something a little bit, either calming in the locker room about, okay, guys, we're all learning together for, you know, the next couple of seasons. Yeah. I think that's, that's been um, a really positive thing for, for our group is that we're, we do have a really young core and um, I think we all understand that it's not going to happen um, overnight, right? Like you, you got to kind of go through your, your growing pains and, and learn what, what it is like to, to play against really good teams and understand what they do so well and um, try and take bits and pieces from that. And, but um, there's been, there's been a few like hard learning lessons that, but uh, I mean, you need to learn those and you need to go through those, those spells where it's like, you feel like you're never going to get out of them, but uh, you always do because the sun always comes up. Right. So mm-hmm. you have to just uh, continue to work at it. And I think um, next year, I think we're all excited to take another step towards uh towards a good rebuild and um uh continue our fun amazing and and kirby just before we jump into some rapid fire questions you know just some light easy fun ones to to knock off uh so as our listeners can sort of get to know a little bit um more about you on on the light side i'm curious of course you're all ultra competitive guys in that locker room though that's how you get to that level i'm curious though you know with a very clear plan of, okay, this is a little bit of a longer road until we're back in, in Stanley cup contention for you. What are some of the goals this season, maybe individually and as a team, uh, do you have any sort of maybe not bucket list items for a career, but checks that you want to sort of be able to cross off? Um, I, for me, I don't really like to, to set numbers or individual goals. Um, mm. I think I just want to go there and, and continue to develop and play better each and every night, um, take another step in, in the right direction. Um, that's that's for myself. And then maybe once when I get like halfway through the year and stuff's going well and you kind of look at things and you're like, hey, this is where I want to be and, and do that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think from a team perspective, I think if we're able to take another step, two steps, three steps towards I'd, achieving um the playoff goal and getting into playoffs or at least making a push for for stuff like that i'm um i mean our division's super super talented right we got a lot of good teams so it's a little tough that way but um we uh i think we can we have the group that if we stay healthy and have um the 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 right steps kind of continue to 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 happen i think we'll we'll end up in a good spot come the end of next year beautiful i mean we can't wait to see how everything shakes out and you know of course you don't voice those individual or don't you don't 
put those individual benchmarks in your head, but we're sure, you know, even subconsciously, whatever they are, it's going to be a really promising year for you. We're excited to watch. Now, just before we, we let you go, we have a handful of rapid fire questions for you and uh, we'll just run through them. Whatever comes to your mind, top of your head, and we'll run it through. Our first one is favorite. Now, this is something so particular to to hockey culture. I, I find specifically favorite nickname you've ever gotten in the locker room. <laughs> um, I don't really have a lot of like funny ones to be honest with you. Um, like I just get talker usually. That's pretty much it. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get any. That's a free hockey nickname. It's like get me a last yeah. name and put an er on the end. No, I don't really get. Uh, don't really have any funny ones. No. We'll we'll pass one along. Maybe we'll give you a list of potential ones yeah. that you can feed into the locker room for you this season. Yeah, exactly. Self proclaimed one. Yeah. If you could play with one historic NHL star, who would it be? Uh, Wayne Gretzky. Olympic yeah. gold medal or Stanley Cup? Stanley Cup. Favorite moment in your career so far? Um. I, got a few. I, I bet I could say what it is, but it, it just depends <laughs> how, how petty you want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we can go down that road. Definitely that, that shootout winner in Chicago was, uh, was pretty special. That was, a, that was a ton of fun, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that one. <laughs> if you were to play any other professional sport or have any other profession, what would it be? Um, golfer or a uh, country singer. Oh, there we go. Do you do any singing? The obviously not in the locker room, maybe in the <laughs> locker room. But is that something you do, or is it just something that you you like the lifestyle? Um, I would I wouldn't say it's something I do like, but uh, definitely enjoy music and, and uh, have fun messing around with the guys and stuff like that in the in the locker room. Favorite country artist? Uh, right now probably Zach Bryan. In favorite city to play in other than Montreal? I like Nashville. Um, mm. I think Nashville would be kind of a fun place to play for for the season. And then last one here. Of course, we're, we're talking to you from Glory Sports. So I'm wondering when, you know, what the word glory means to you when you think of sort of defining greatness defining success in your career what does glory mean to you um i think it's uh achieving all of um of my goals getting to to experience all the great things the game has to offer right um in in terms of being on canadian olympic teams or winning stanley cups it's definitely on there for sure and, and having great great success and being um acknowledge as, as a great player and, and kind of have that respect from your teammates and, and be a really good teammate. And I think that's something that carries a long way is when uh, at the end of the day, you're all going to be done playing hockey at some point, but to build those relationships with those people and um, to have those, those friendships um, mean a lot. And I think uh, the end glory of it all is, is to win Stanley Cups. Cheers. Thanks so much, Kirby. I really appreciate you taking the time and out of your off season to, to speak with us. And I promise you, everyone at Glory Sports will be uh, be watching your upcoming season. And, and we're all really excited for what you and the team are going to do this year. Thank you so much. 
Awesome. Cheers. Enjoy your summer, man. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 13 featuring Kirby Doc. And it feels appropriate, too, to be talking to a, to a young gun like that amidst the NHL playoffs. Obviously super chaotic right now, Ben. As we're recording this, is it tonight that the tonight, Leafs man. will be staving off elimination? Again. Again, which they're going to have to do. Yep. Again and again. And then one more time. <laughs> and then one and more then, time. And that. then they're good, baby. And then they're on the next round. I mean, it's only three more wins. What? So they're underdogs going into tonight. Surprisingly, yeah, the odds. Betting well, I wise. Mean, it's, it's a weird thing because it's surprising, but also not surprising at the same time. They are the far better team skill-wise, player for player, but their situation makes them the underdog. So, you know, if you are a betting man, maybe Toronto at home, game five, maybe you lay down a couple bucks on the, on the Maple Leafs. But yeah. it's, you know... I, we talked about this on, on TikTok as well, on our on our content there. Four teams out of 204 yeah. have came back from 03 down. That's a 2% success rate. The odds are not good, but That's crazy, too. Again, like we touched on at the top of the episode, like I was kind of coming to it from a basketball fan's perspective. I would have thought, because hockey sort of has this perception from the outside of oh these crazy comebacks are, are way not easier by any means it's still a herculean feat but a lot more commonplace than in the nba yeah and then you realize oh shit no oh three is a pretty big hole to dig yourself <laughs> out of i don't care what game it any, is any any sport i don't care if it yeah 100 percent. i don't care if it's basketball i don't care if it's hockey i don't care if it's pickleball if you're down <laughs> three games to nothing yeah that's a tough spot to be in. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I kind of let's put ourselves maybe in a um, a precarious spot here, and let's give a little prediction because this is obviously this is coming out a week today. Uh, so a week from Game Five, correct? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's say, what do you think that when people are listening to this, what do you think the series ends at? <sighs> you know, like I want to be optimistic and be the happy-go-lucky guy. I do think they're going to win tonight. Um, and, you know, if an 0-3 comeback is going to happen in any scenario, it this is the ideal scenario, if you know what I mean when this I say that. This is the ideal scenario it, for an 0-3 comeback. Not, We're actually in a great spot. <laughs> like, the thing is, is like the Leafs are far better than the Panthers. The Panthers are not historically good in the playoffs. They've never really done anything. Yeah. And if some team, if any team is going to choke a lead like this, it's going to be Florida. But that well, being said, it's 03. The Leafs haven't had playoff success in like three decades either. So I think that they win tonight and they lose in game six. If they if they go to game seven, they'll win it and we'll get everything that we've ever wanted ever as Leafs fans. But I think they're going to lose in game six. I was going to say, ironically, you said if any team's going to choke a 3-0 lead, it, it'd be the Panthers. Ironically, I think if any team were to... Ch- choke a three three oh lead it would be the, it would be the Leafs. But they're not, Fortunately yeah. they're on the other exactly. side of it. I guess they don't have the chance. That is the sort of mental gymnastics that Toronto fans have to play where it's like, oh man, we're actually lucky we're down. No pressure. We're, we're down. Oh, we can't choke. No pressure. You can't choke when you're down three up. No no media pressure, no fan <laughs> pressure, nobody tweeting no no nobody. No thousands of people tweeting, you know, pessimistic tweets about the Leafs and all this stuff. There's no pressure. There's only no one pressure. one more horrible night, and then it's over. You know what I mean? Or or or, or there's three more amazing nights, nights. Of, of elation, and then we're back to square one. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think exactly. it's over. If I could put it on the record, I think we're done tonight. I think I'm. <laughs> you think so? Oh yeah. I think it's done. I think it's done. It's. I don't know. Like 
it just takes so much. It felt like it took so much emotional and mental strength to to, to get that one win. To get Florida. that win, and and it felt like okay, here's sort of a breath of of relief that okay, we didn't get swept. Yeah, and so we'll see. I mean. Crazier things have happened. Again, it is the NHL, but it's just been a crazy postseason across the board. For every sport, yeah. For every sport. We've been tuning it. Like, I think both NHL and NBA playoffs are competing for which is the most entertaining. Because right now, too, we have the Celtics Sixers going to game seven. That is crazy. Oh, I'm going to be tuning into uh, to Golden State and, yep. and the Lakers this weekend. It's, it's just across the board. We had, oh, my God, Phoenix got eliminated in the most hilarious way possible. Down 30 for the second year in a row in an elimination game. Yeah. It's just really, really <laughs> fascinating across the board. But I think, like... <sighs> The series that we've been tapped into most by, uh, not by far. They've all been great, but the Lakers Golden State yeah. dynamic right now oh, is yeah. so, so fun. A new iteration of LeBron versus Steph. But and we're gonna do a video again at Glory Sports on TikTok. Um, and you can you can check it out next week. We're gonna do a separate video on this, but we'll touch on it maybe for the podcast listeners. The, like, let's put again, I love Steph Curry. And this is a whole other debate. I, I think he might be the greatest point guard of all time now. Magic, again, is a legend in and of itself. But Steph Curry's top two, at the very least, in my opinion. But let's put this whole debate to bed of, like, Stephen A. Smith saying Steph Curry might be a higher, a better a better player all time than LeBron James. Well, anything that Stephen A. Smith says you, says you take with a grain of salt. 100%. I mean, like, all of those guys. You ever heard Skip Bayless speak? Yeah. Yeah, you d- uh, you don't listen to him. No, no, and I've him. tuned him out. I you don't can't. even know what his thoughts are on that matter. I know he he's a Steph Curry guy as well. He might be in that boat, but yeah. Oh, I mean, what it's are we? Just, it's an atrocious debate, David. It's it's an atrocious debate. It doesn't make any sense. It's disrespectful. That is a, the, a Dylan Brooks level of disrespect towards <laughs> LeBron James. It is. Yeah, and I love. Steph, I'm with you. I love Steph Curry. He's changed the game. I th- I think if we're talking about who's changed the game more. It's not close. I think it's Steph, yeah, hundred percent. Because little kids growing up, they're not. You know, you don't look in the mirror and say, "Oh, I'm gonna be when I when I play basketball <laughs> in my sixth grade tryout, I'm gonna chase down block my 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 kid in geography class and then dunk on his head with a tomahawk." I'm, go, I'm gonna grow two and a half feet in a yeah, year, yeah, and, and gain six, a thousand pounds. <laughs> No, you're like, no, anyone can huck it up from half court and yeah. then the rest is in God's hands. Like that, I can at least <laughs> kind of look like Steph. So I think the impact is there. But again, we're talking about the player who has scored more points than anyone else in the history of the game. Slow it down. But all that to say, we'll see how entertaining the debate gets. Because, mm-hmm. you know, whoever went, like if LeBron beats Steph head to head again, debate closed. If Steph gets another one over LeBron, goes on to win another championship that's something then okay we'll open up the book again well another interesting aspect too is we all know what happened in the nba finals like 2016 the 3-1 comeback from from lebron and the Cavs. what if the warriors do it to lebron this year because that's it's a possibility and the way i see it is that you don't want to be 3-0 down obviously it sucks being 3-1 down obviously again but 3-2 is one of those weird positions in sports where like just one more game and we're tied. Yeah, like that's yeah. all it is. Just, <laughs> yeah. just, just we're basically tied, but we're not. But if we win tonight, 
we can do anything. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a really weird position. It's like how everybody says uh, the worst lead is a two goal lead. It's the same kind of concept as being <laughs> yeah, down yeah. three, two in a series. You know yeah, what I mean? no, no, I like that. No. And, and we'll see how it all shakes out too. So yeah, we've got a, an exciting slate of, of playoff games, but again, one guy who, who gets to watch from the sidelines, just like us on a rebuilding franchise is, uh, is Kirby doc. And I know he's tuning into, uh, to this Leafs game tonight mm-hmm. and, and hopefully Leafs games in the future, but that is yet to be determined. All we can say for now is is thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Detours. Make sure to subscribe if you have not already. Give us that five-star rating. It helps us out so, so much. Stay tuned to at Glory Sports on Instagram, at Glory Sports on TikTok for more daily sports content from north of the border. I'm your host, David Stahl, producer Ben. Thank you so much for joining me as always. And we'll see you next episode. Thank you.